Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? And suppose, just suppose, every year from that moment on, they set aside an additional $10,000 for you until you turn 50 years of age. That would be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? That would be quite a gift when you turn 50. At 50 years of age, you would have $500,000 waiting for you. Now, I got to tell you, I wish my parents would have done that for me. It would have made quite a difference in, in my life, in our life, financially. But that's quite an investment. $10,000 a year, every year for 50 years. Now let's look at another suppose. Suppose your parents set aside for you $10,000 the year you were born. And they never gave you another penny. But they took that money and they invested it in an account that made 10%. It didn't double. It didn't increase by 50%. It didn't increase by 25%. It only increased by 10%. Year two, if your parents gave you $10,000 every year, you'd have $20,000. Year two, if your parents gave you $10,000 and in Invested it, you'd have $10,100. It it seems like taking $10,000 every year is the best way to go. But at the end of 50 years, if you took $10,000 a year, you would have $500,000. If you took $10,000 at birth and you multiplied it by 10% every year, you would have over a million dollars. Now, which would you prefer? Would you prefer addition or would you prefer multiplication? Now, let's look at it another way. Suppose you were given the option this morning of receiving 10,000 pennies a day for a month. 10,000 pennies a day. Or you could take one penny and it would be doubled every single day for a month. So on day one, you have one penny On day two, you have two pennies. On day three, you have four pennies. And and it continues to double like that. Which would you take? Well, if you took the pennies, you would have over, or you would have 300,000 pennies at the end of a month. But if you took the one penny and doubled it at the end of a month, you would have over one billion pennies. So which would you prefer? Addition or multiplication? Now, I think each and every one of us would say by now, listen, I want multiplication when it comes to money. And yet, when it comes to the church, the family of faith, it seems that we are content with adding to our numbers when we could be multiplying. And to be honest, the Bible commands us to multiply. In Matthew 27, Jesus had had just died on the cross. His disciples, those who followed him, believed that the end had come. They thought that everything that they had hoped and dreamed for was now gone. But three days later, in Matthew 28, Jesus defeated sin and death by being resurrected from the grave. And over the next 40 days... 
Jesus periodically appeared to and spent time with his disciples. The Bible tells us that as he did this, he was proving to them that he was actually alive and he was preparing them for what he wanted them to do. And now the end of the 40 days is, is come and Jesus is about to ascend to heaven. He's going to return to heaven until he comes back at the end of this age to take us to where he is. But before he does, he gives his disciples one last command. It is perhaps the most important thing that he has ever told them. It is their assignment until he returns. We call it the Great Commission. I want you to listen to his words. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now Jesus said that we are to go and make disciples. If Jesus had stopped there, Jesus would have been giving us a strategy of addition. He would have been saying that we are to go continually and make as many disciples as we can. And we should do that. Each and every one of us should have a desire to lead as many people to Jesus as we can. But Jesus did not stop there. Jesus told us after we make disciples, we are to baptize them. And then he said we are to teach them to obey everything he's commanded. And that includes the last command that Jesus gave. Which is to go and make disciples and baptize and teach. And so the great commission literally is this. Disciples are to make disciples who make disciples. Who make disciples and the process never ends. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus repeated this in a different way. Perhaps he wanted his disciples to know that they could not do this in their own power. Perhaps he wanted them to realize that, that as they go into the nations, into the world, that means they are go, to go to everyone. And so in verse 8 of, of Acts chapter 1, Jesus said this. He said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And it is obvious. It is crystal clear that the early church took this seriously because within one generation, Christianity spread from a movement that began with just a few people throughout Jerusalem into Judea, over into Samaria, until by the time of that first generation, the entire Roman Empire and even the known world had heard about Jesus. Now the reason for this is twofold. First, God's Spirit empowered these early believers with God's power in both their words and their deeds. 
what they said was empowered by the Spirit living in them. And what they did was empowered by the Spirit living in them. But it's not only God's Spirit that caused them to be successful. It was their obedience to what Jesus commanded them to do. To make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And the entire book of Acts is a case study of what happens when God's people filled with his spirit are obedient to what he says. And so I want us to take a few moments and just walk through the book of Acts so that there won't be any questions about what God does When his spirit fills his people and we are obedient to his command. After Jesus ascended into heaven, there were about 120 people meeting together. They were meeting together to pray and and encourage one another and to wait for the promise of God's spirit. Because Jesus said, do not leave Jerusalem until the spirit which I promise has come upon you. Now, these 120 people were were the committed ones. They were the sold-out ones. These were the ones who who took the task that Jesus had given them very seriously. But they knew that they needed his power if they were going to be successful in their mission. And the Holy Spirit came at, at just the right time. The Bible tells us in Acts 2 that it was the day of Pentecost and and Jerusalem was filled with Jews from all over the Roman world. Jews who spoke various languages. And as the Spirit filled these believers, God gave them the ability to speak these languages. And they went out into the streets and they began to proclaim the good news of who Jesus is. And we are told... That the Lord added to the church that day about 3,000 people. These new believers were baptized. We were told in Acts chapter 2 that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And these new disciples were committed to becoming great commission Christians. And because of that, every day, every single day, the Lord was adding to their number. Can you imagine the excitement? Can you imagine the joy as as each and every day people are coming to faith in Jesus? By the time we get to Acts chapter 4, we are told the number of believers now totaled 5,000. And that didn't include the women and the children. And it was at this time that the persecution against Christians intensified. The religious leaders brought the disciples in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But the disciples said, we cannot stop telling what we have seen and heard. In Acts chapter 5, we discover that the disciples were brought before the religious leaders once again and and the disciples were, were threatened The religious leader said, you have filled all of Jerusalem with your teachings about Jesus. And they wanted to kill them. But instead they flogged them. They beat them with whips and commanded them to never speak again in Jesus' name. But when they went back to the church, they didn't come together and pray for protection. 
they came together and they prayed for boldness to proclaim the good news. And we are told at the end of Acts chapter 5 that every day in the temple courts and house to house, they continued teaching that Jesus was the Messiah. And because of this, for the very first time in Acts chapter 6 verse 1, we are told that the believers multiplied greatly. Now, up until this time, we are told that the Lord was adding to their number daily. But when we get to Acts chapter 6, something happens. And the church begins to multiply. In Acts chapter 6, verse 7, we are told the number of disciples multiplied greatly. God was doing an incredible work through his spirit-filled people as they were obedient to his command. And this was just the beginning. At the end of Acts chapter 6, Stephen, who was one of those first men set apart to be servants of the church, was arrested. And he was stoned to death. And this stoning brought about a great persecution that swept through the church in Jerusalem. And because of this persecution, the believers were scattered throughout the Roman world. But what our enemy means for evil, God uses for good. And everywhere they went, they shared the good news about Jesus. And and more and more people believed and became disciples. In chapter 9, Saul, who was a persecutor of the church, was saved. And he immediately began telling people about Jesus. And the church continued to multiply. In chapter 13, the church at Antioch set Paul and Barnabas apart to be the first missionaries that were strategically sent out to share the good news. And we are told that they went on three missionary journeys and everywhere they went, they proclaimed the good news to the point that in Acts chapter 19, we're told that everyone, don't miss this, everyone in the province of Asia, both Jew and Greek, had heard the word of the Lord. By the end of these journeys, everyone in Asia, Asia of that day, had heard about Jesus. Finally, Paul was arrested and he was taken to Rome and he was placed under house arrest. Yet, he didn't let anything stop him from sharing the hope that he had in Jesus. He didn't let anything stop him from fulfilling his assignment. And so in Acts 28, it says this. So a time was set. And on that day, a large number of people came to Paul's lodging where he was staying. He explained and testified about the kingdom of God and tried to persuade them about Jesus from the scriptures. Some were persuaded by the things he said, but others did not believe. Then as the book of Acts ends, it says this. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, telling them with all boldness about the kingdom of God and about the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one tried to stop him. Now here's what you need to understand. The same Holy Spirit that empowered the early church is the Holy Spirit that empowers us today. There is no difference. 
The same spirit that came upon those believers at Pentecost and filled every one of them and subsequently filled every believer from that point on is the Holy Spirit that fills us today. And so understand, we cannot say that they had a different power. They had a different spirit. The same spirit that filled them is the spirit that fills us. And the same command that they were given to go into the world and make disciples, we have been given. And when they said that there is no other name under heaven whereby you can be saved, that's still true today. And so if the same spirit that filled them fills us and the same command that they were given is given to us, And if the world needs Jesus just as much today as it needed Jesus then, what's going on? Why haven't we filled the world with the good news of Jesus Christ? I'll tell you why. It's because the majority of us who make up the church, we're content. We're content to come and sit and let other people go. Come on now. The majority of us. We're content to come on Sunday morning, sit in our seat, and say that the Great Commission is for someone else. A few of us, we're content with addition. We're going to share. And we're going to win. And people are going to give their lives to Jesus, but, but we stop there. When the Bible teaches us that we are to multiply, we are to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples that's the process that Jesus our Lord and our Savior has given us to change the world disciples who make disciples who make disciples now let's look at Jesus words one more time he begins with the word go that that literally means as you go that's what it says in the Greek it's not you go is saying, as you go. Now understand that you doesn't refer to everyone else but you. <laughs> that you refers to you. You who are followers of Jesus. That you refers to me. What we oftentimes do is we go, you go. You go. You go. But what we need to understand is when we point the finger at someone and tell them to go, there are more fingers pointed back at us telling us that we are supposed to go. If you want to know God's plan for taking the gospel to the world, go home. Look in the mirror and you will see God's plan. 
In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But you are the ones chosen by God. You are the ones to do his work, to speak out for him, to tell others the night and day difference he has made in your life. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 19 to 20 says, God has given us the task of telling everyone what we, he is doing. We are Christ's representatives. But understand, when, when Jesus says, as you go, he's not talking about going on a mission trip. When Jesus says, as you go, he's not even talking about answering the call to full-time mission work somewhere else in the world. Jesus is simply saying, as you go, as you walk through your daily life, make disciples. As you go to the grocery store, as you go to the gas station, as you go to school, as you go to work, as you walk in your neighborhood, as you go out to eat, whatever you do, wherever you are, you are called to make disciples. Listen. If you're going with us to India or you go with us to Chile or you go with us to Kentucky or anywhere else to make disciples and you aren't making disciples here in the Midlands, you are being disobedient to the Great Commission. This is important. You see, somehow there's something glamorous there's something that makes us feel good when we go somewhere else but the great commission simply says as you go through your life make disciples and here's what I know from experience it really is a whole lot easier to go to Chile and make disciples it's a whole lot easier to go to India and make disciples. It's a whole lot easier to go to Kentucky and make disciples than it is to make the commitment to make disciples each and every day here where we live as we go. So the Great Commission says, as you go. And what are we to do? We're to make disciples. And I understand this Greek word is in the imperative. It's a command. We are to intentionally, passionately share the good news. This is evangelism. Each and every one of us need to be able to tell the night and day difference that Jesus has made in our life. If you're a Christ follower and you don't know how to share the gospel, something is wrong. Every single believer needs to know how to share their story. Your story is simply comprised of what your life was like before Jesus. For some of you, it was going to church. It was being raised in a good family. But you know that being good doesn't get you to heaven. The second part of your story is how did you come to know Jesus in a personal way? If you know him, there was a moment in time when he became real to you. And then, and then third, how is Jesus making a difference in your life? I mean, come on. If Jesus isn't giving us hope in the midst of uncertainty, 
If Jesus isn't giving us peace in the midst of pain, if Jesus isn't giving us direction in the midst of darkness, then why are we following him? Every one of us needs to be able to tell our story. But we also need to be able to tell God's story. That's the gospel of how we are all sinners. We have all rebelled against God, and yet God in his grace and mercy has provided a way for us to be forgiven, for us to be set free from sin, and that way is through Jesus. And understand, every Christ follower is commanded to share the good news. Now listen, I'm not standing up here as pious purpose. I'm not standing up here as someone who does this in a wonderful way. I, I am so consistent and so committed. I blow it. I let opportunities slip by each and every week. And yet I know it's my responsibility. And you need to understand that it is your responsibility. We're to go. And as we go into the world, wherever we live, whatever we're doing, we're to make disciples. We're to look for these opportunities to share the hope that was in us. And then when people come to faith in Christ, what is the very first thing we are called to do? We are to baptize them. Is that what Jesus said? As we go into the world, we're to make disciples, and then we are to baptize them. Now understand, this is Jesus speaking. He says, once we make a disciple, the next step is to baptize them. The process doesn't stop with making a disciple. A disciple is to be baptized. As we read through the book of Acts, we see this over and over and over again. You see, baptism identifies us, it marks us, it sets us apart as a part of the family. Baptism is telling everyone, I've left the old life, Jesus has made me new. His death on the cross has buried my sins and through the power of his spirit, he has made me a brand new person. Now notice what he says, we make disciples and, and then we baptize them. This explains why we as a church, though others may do it, we as a church don't baptize infants. Because infants are incapable of making a decision to be a disciple. And understand, we do a disservice to children when we baptize them just because they want to be baptized and yet they have never realized their sinfulness before a holy God. And they've never come to that understanding where they recognize that they need forgiveness. And the only way to have that forgiveness is through the blood of Jesus. That's why we don't baptize infants. And, and that's why we don't baptize the dead. You know, the Mormon church baptizes for the dead. We don't do that because dead people... They can't make decisions anymore. They've already made decisions. But the Bible teaches that everyone who makes a decision to become a disciple is to be baptized. And so hear me. If you're here today and you say that you're a follower of Jesus and you haven't been baptized, I want to challenge you, I want to encourage you to make that commitment. So he says, as you go, 
make disciples, win people to Jesus, then mark them as part of the family by baptizing them, and then teach them to obey everything Jesus commanded. This is when we begin to grow through multiplication. Jesus said we're to teach them to obey everything I've commanded. That means that we're to teach them to love one another. We're to teach them how to pray. We're to teach them how to search the scriptures. We're to teach them how to live holy lives. But teaching them to obey everything Jesus commanded includes this very last command, which is to go and make disciples. To baptize them and teach them to obey. And this process never ends until the world knows. So what is this going to look like at at Northside? Well, on February the 12th, we're going to have a banquet for everyone who is interested in the multiplication discipleship process. And we're going to give you all the details of what this involves. But in a nutshell, this is what it involves. You are making a commitment to be a Great Commission Christian. You are making a commitment to learn how to share your story, to share God's story, and to do it regularly. And when God uses you to win someone to Jesus, you are making the commitment to disciple them. To walk them through a discipleship process that we are going to walk you through. You're going to teach them how to share their story. You're going to teach them how to share God's story. You're going to teach them how to pray. You're going to teach them how to study the Bible for themselves. You're going to teach them why baptism is important, how to live in community with other believers. You're going to teach them these things. And some of you are saying right now, well, I'm not a teacher. That's irrelevant. The question is, are you a disciple? Because if you are a disciple, you are commanded to go and make disciples and to teach. And here's what I know. If you are obedient to what God tells you to do, he will empower you to do what he tells you to do. And so we're to go and we're to make disciples, win people to Jesus. We are to baptize them and then we are to teach them to obey And so this process is where you will make a commitment to learn how to disciple others and you will make a commitment to disciple others until Jesus comes back. Now what is the power of multiplication? I mean, what will happen if we do this? Well, well, the truth is we've been fortunate. We've grown, we've We've seen the Lord add to our numbers. We've we've doubled in the last 10 years. And that's good. Most churches would be extremely happy with that. We've seen over 130 people baptized every year here at Northside in the last 10 years. That's good. Most people would be happy with that. But I don't think God's happy with that. And I don't think we should be happy with that. You see, here's the power of multiplication. One disciple who multiplies every year, think through this. One disciple who multiplies every year will reach the world in 33 years. If you start with one person 
And that person reaches one this year and disciples them to reach one. And you start next year with two. And each of those two reach one and they disciple them to reach one. And you continue this process in 33 years. Over 7 billion people would have come to faith in Christ. Think about it this way. Suppose you were somehow, some way able to win a thousand people to Christ every day. You were, you were that gifted of an evangelist. And every day of your life, you want a thousand people to Christ. If you did that, it would take 19,800 years for you to win every person on planet earth to Jesus. That's if the population doesn't grow. No, that's too long. So what if you were able to lead 10,000 people to Christ every day? It would still take over 1,900 years. That's just a little less than the time since Jesus walked here on the earth. And so what if you were able to lead 100,000 people to Christ every day without stopping? That would still take you 192 years. And yet, one person who multiplies themselves every year can reach the world in 33 years years now of course everyone we share with isn't going to come to Christ of course everyone that we win to Christ isn't going to be willing to be discipled and of course everyone that is discipled isn't going to commit to being a reproducing disciple we understand that but what would happen if we take this seriously in November, we, we did a three-week series called Legacy. And, and one of the messages was leaving a legacy in the world. And, and after that message, over 150 of you committed. You said, I want to leave a legacy in the world by reaching people who reach people. So what would happen if just 150 of us made this commitment and we committed to do this for the next 10 years. Understand over the last 10 years we've doubled. But what would happen if we did this for the next 10 years? We started with 150 people. 150 disciples who were willing to make disciples who would make disciples. At the end of 10 years. We would have won 153,600 people to Jesus. And discipled them to be disciples. Now, let me ask you a question. If we reached 153,000 people to Jesus, would it change the Midlands? Would it change South Carolina? Could it potentially change the world? And understand, year 11, you don't have 156, you have over 300,000. Year 12, you have 600,000. Year 13, you have over a million. And you are continuing to multiply every year. And that means that you are committed to reach and disciple one person every year. Now, here's the deal. That's what we're commanded to do. It's not what I'm commanded to do. 
This is not what Pastor Steve is commanded to do. It's not what our ministry staff is commanded to do. It's not what a chosen handful are commanded to do. It is what each and every one of us who call ourselves Christians are commanded to do. And so here's where we're at. This morning, truth is, we have a choice. Am I going to be obedient and seek to be the believer that God's called me to be? Or am I going to step out of here in disobedience? We want to think about disobedience as leaving this building and getting drunk, leaving this building and having sex with someone we're not married with, leaving this building and doing this bad thing or that bad thing, and yet, hear me, If Jesus commanded us to do this and we're not doing it, we're just as disobedient. So what are we going to do? Are we going to step up to the plate and allow the Lord to use obedient believers filled with his spirit? Or are we going to be satisfied with business as usual? And see our family members, our neighbors, our co-workers go to hell. Because we've been unwilling to be an obedient disciple. I want you to take a moment, if you will, and just look at your card that is inside of your worship guide. You will see that there are three commitments on this card one is to pray we're asking you to make a commitment to pray for lost people by name every day we're asking you to pray every day for church planners across North America and we are asking you to pray for missionaries around the world every day we're asking you to pray Look at the bottom. We're asking you to give. Now, our budget as a church, when you give your tithes and offerings, a portion of what you give goes to support church planners. A portion of what you give goes to support missionaries. A portion of what you give goes to help reach our state for Christ. So a portion of what you give is already going to missions. But our faith missions offering is for those who want to go over and above what they're already doing to reach the world. To go to support our partnerships in India and and in the Middle East and, and in other places all around the world. And if you've already made the commitment to be an obedient giver, then I would challenge you to make the commitment to up your game. And now make the commitment, if you haven't already, To give another offering every year to missions. But then that middle one, that middle one is the game changer. I will commit to lead people to Christ and disciple them. We know that God has to be involved in the process. 
We know unless the Holy Spirit convicts someone of their sin, they'll never really be saved. We understand all of that. But what we are saying is we believe that if we are obedient, God will honor our obedience. We're asking you to step up and be obedient. So what will you do? Praying's easy. Giving, to be honest, that's easy. Making a commitment to be a multiplying disciple. Scary, isn't it? It's frightening. But it's what we're called to do. And it's what I am challenging you to do today. And so I want you to look at this card. I want you to ask yourself, what am I willing to do? And if you are saying, I want more information on being a multiplier, then put your name, your phone number, your address there. Turn this in and plan on coming to our banquet on February the 12th so that we can give you more information and go through the process step by step. And then you can make that decision. But our prayer is that it will be a decision of obedience. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to bow your head with me. I want you to close your eyes. With your head bowed and with your eyes closed. I just want you to talk to God for just a minute. And I want you to ask God. Say, God, is what Rocky said true? Am I commanded to be a multiplying disciple? Ask him. And he'll direct you to his word. And as God speaks, decide whether you're going to be obedient. Please hear my heart. I'm not trying to put any of us on a guilt trip because I have failed more than anybody in this regard. I'm good at leading people to Jesus. I'm awful at discipling them. To be honest with you, I've been a failure. For 56 years. In fulfilling the great commission like this. But for the time that I have remaining, I'm going to strive to live in obedience. I not only want to be a disciple who makes disciples, I want to be a disciple who makes disciples who makes disciples so that the world can know. And that's what I ask of you. So I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And I just want to encourage you, if God's already spoken to your heart on what you need to do, just put that commitment card in an offering plate in just a moment. Let us know that you are all in as we seek to be multipliers. Father God, I'm scared. I'm scared because I've never been, Lord, consistent in doing this. Scared because it's new to me. Scared because I don't want to fail. 
And yet, Father, I so desperately want to be obedient. I want to make my life count. And I believe with all my heart, the overwhelming majority of us here this morning want the exact same thing. So give us the courage to step out of our comfort zone. Give us the courage to say, yes, I will learn. Yes, I will share. And yes, I will trust you for the results, Lord. Oh, Lord God, we just desperately want you to use us. We pray your blessings upon this as we move forward. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.